Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today we're going to talk about meaningful digital transformation. While digital transformation is currently a buzzword and many organizations talk about its importance in order to stay competitive, both operationally and in the battle to improve customer experience, well-executed digital transformation is often easier said than done. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome an expert in this arena, Howard Tiersky, a Wall Street Journal best-selling author of the book, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, and CEO of From, the Digital Transformation Agency. Howard, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you. Um, so let's, uh, let's start by talking about digital transformation and the benefits as well as some of the pitfalls of undergoing a, a digital transformation initiative. Um, so first, uh, just so everybody listening has a good understanding of exactly what we're talking about, um, can you provide a, a definition of um, you know, what digital transformation is from your perspective and you know, just why it's so vital for organizations to consider? Sure, sure. So, well, when I think of digital transformation, I often think of it in two layers. The outer layer is the digital transformation that's going on in the world right now, and it's affecting all of our customers, whether they're B2B or B2C customers. Of course, we all are living in this time, so we know that the, the smartphone has become kind of the, the central component of everyone's life. We're, we're all living, or at least 99% of us are living a lifestyle with digital at the center, and that digital transformation of our society, of our, of our individual lives, of the way in which we do everything from work to, to date, to uh, you know, engage socially with people, everything is, uh, continues to accelerate. And of course, COVID has only accelerated more the centricity of digital in everyone's lives. So that's the outer layer of digital transformation. That's the digital transformation of the world. And there ain't nothing you're gonna do about that. Right. Now, what we all have more control over is the digital transformation within our own companies. And what that really is, is the change to the way a company operates and engages with its customers, as well as its employees, its suppliers, its distributors, retailers, whoever is a part of the ecosystem of that company, how they're changing to adapt and take advantage of this changed digital world. That to me is what digital transformation is. It's essentially keeping up with the change in the world. And why is it so important? Well, if you fail, to keep up with the change in the world, you become less and less and less relevant and certainly less and less loved by customers. The brands that are winning today in the market are almost exclusively those brands who've really figured out digital. They're either brands like Amazon, Google, and Facebook, and Uber, and Airbnb, and there's so much valuation that's been created in these types of brands because they were born digital and they, they, they were already, so to speak, digitally transformed. But also you have companies like Walmart, the number two e-commerce retailer in the country, and HBO and the New York Times and Federal Express and many great classic legacy brands who've transformed themselves sufficiently 
to be extremely relevant and loved in today's digital world. And so why it's critical, but, you know, is at the same time, you see brands like, you know, Circuit City, Toys R Us, uh, uh, you know, uh, Sports Authority, right? You see many brands who are not successfully making the transition and have been going out of business. And so it's a matter of life and death for a brand, whether you manage to transform, transform to align with the needs of today's market, today's customer, today's world, or you stay the way you were. And, you know, frankly, you kind of become a dinosaur. You know, digital transformation sounds amazing, um, but, you know, again, what could go wrong, right? So there's there's a lot of moving pieces here. And, you know, certainly I've um, read some, some pretty um, frightening statistics on, you know, just the amount of digital transformation initiatives that don't, um, you know, meet their meet their objectives and, and things like that. Why are so many organizations? I mean, you highlighted some great examples of ones that that did some some amazing transformations. But why are organizations getting it wrong, and and how can they avoid that? Well, first of all, it's a massive undertaking, especially if you're talking about a large company to transform. Transforming requires typically reimagining what the customer experience will be, and that often is a major. Um, you know, mental change to really envision a completely different way of interacting with your customer, or at least a dramatically different one. And then all of the things that are kind of beneath the surface of the water of the iceberg, so to speak, thinking about the technology changes that are needed, the data, the different ways you may need to deal with data, the organizational and operational processes that may need to change. And uh, in fact, even the business models that mean to work differently. I mean, if you look at a company like Netflix as a super successful uh, digital entertainment company today, it operates in a completely different business model than what most companies in the sort of filmed and episodic entertainment business were operating on, you know, just a decade or two ago, whether you're talking about Blockbuster or whether you're talking about cinema or you're talking about, you know, cable television. So uh, the, that makes it challenging, the scale of change. And then on top of that, the reality is that organizations generally are not built to change the kind of classic you know management consulting organizational thinking that's been around for 100 years has been develop a company create processes create repeatable systems and implement those systems at a company and train everyone to do them and then have a process in place to find variant to that those systems and stomp it out and that doesn't mean those companies can't change, but they're built first and foremost to be stack, not to change. And so then when you want to drive change, especially you want to drive dramatic and rapid change, very often that's just not the DNA of the company. Yeah. And, and lastly, it's not just companies, but it's people who often aren't real quick to uh, jump on the opportunity to change. You know, I believe that there's a small percentage of people in the world who love change and innovation and are always looking to shake it up and find a new and better way to do things. I think I'm one of those people. And a lot of the people I wind up working with are those people. But there's a risk when you're one of those people, and especially when you surround yourself with those people, that we forget that we are a minority. Yeah. And that our like uh, desire, our, our love of, of that kind of dramatic change is not shared by most people. And so in any given organization, when you try to propose massive change, there's kind of a natural instinct by many people to prefer not, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> Sounds like a hassle. <laughs> you know, uh, l l if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Don't, don't, don't rock the apple cart, all those kinds of things. And so you have a lot of work to do to bring people along 
and get them to be inspired by and want to be participants in your transformation rather than to oppose it, block it, resist it, or even sabotage it, which happens all the time. Yeah. Well, doesn't it also, I mean, it kind of, it takes a certain kind of person to be involved in the change and then it takes a certain kind of person to maintain and implement and maybe iterate, you know, iteratively optimize things. But um, do you, do you find that it takes, I mean, can the same team implement the, the, the digital transformation as well as the maintain it once it's kind of, I don't know that it's ever really over, but you know what I mean? Once the, once the big changes are made. Yeah. Well, I kind of answer that question two ways. Um, First of all, for sure there's specialization and there's no doubt that sometimes, you know, I mean, I remember we did the, a lot of the digital stuff for universal studios theme parks and seeing a roller coaster being built. And you know, the people that, that are, building roller coaster builders. They come in and they set the whole thing up and they get the track going and they set up all the electronics and everything and they test it and make sure everything's working great. And at a certain point they leave to go set up another roller coaster somewhere else in the world. And a different team comes in and they're the ones who know how to run the cars and how to, you know, make sure it's safe and like do all that daily maintenance, check the wheels every morning before you start and all that kind of stuff. You're absolutely right that that ongoing operations can be a different skill from the people who are literally going to, for example, build something new. So that's kind of one way of looking at it. But on the flip side, I would say this. Successful transformations really require buy-in from everyone who's going to play a role. Because even those operations people that you that you mentioned, they need to potentially very dramatically change the way they do their jobs. Yeah. So while they may not be the ones building the new app, like let's, for, let's take, for example, uh, a, a hotel, you know, a major hotel brand. Well, they may bring in some experts to create some cool new technology to enable guests to open their hotel rooms with their phone and order towels to their room with the touch of a button and they build the app out and they create some technology that alerts people in the in the housekeeping area when they need to do something. Those people have specialized skills, but then what about all those people who have got to use it? Right. Those people also, they're not their job is potentially dramatically changed. And so they need to be brought along. They need to be part of the transformation. They also play a key role. And so successful transformations don't have one team that focuses on transformation and another team that doesn't do anything related to the transformation, yeah. but rather uh, they, they figure out how everybody has a, has a part and has a role in that future customer experience, because it's only when everybody's playing their new role that that future customer experience is actually manifest. It's not just the implementation of say new technology or whatnot. That's great. Yeah. No, I, I, I love your, the, the way you articulated that. Cause I, I think, I do think it's important because I think some of the some of the failures do happen in that transition from you know a great plan to actually does it can can someone maintain that? So I, I love I love the I love the thought of you know getting the buy in from from the people that are actually going to have to keep the keep the roller coaster running so to speak. So I think that's yeah, probably a good metaphor. And, and, and you need to think. And so sometimes that means you need some new skills. Sometimes it means you need new people, even whole new teams, because in the new digital vision there's capabilities that you didn't have before and you can't expect the person who did one thing to do something totally different yeah. without a major reskilling, which some people may be up for, but many people that just may not be their career path. So sometimes you need, you need new people and then other people in other roles need to understand how their job has been changed by the transformation and hopefully be on board with that and hopefully be excited by it. And you know, what's great about digital <clears throat> is it, it can be a wonderful thing for so many jobs because 
you know, it, as a general rule, digital often automates things which were kind of boring and repetitive to begin with. And when that happens, very often it allows employees to be able to spend more time focusing on the things that are higher value, whether that's coming up with big ideas or whether that's face-to-face interactions with the customer, you know, depending, of course, on what the role is. Being more strategic, being more analytical instead of just number crunching or filling out paperwork or what have you. So that has, that's the potential. And so, but of course, it also has the potential sometimes to um, eliminate jobs, just to be frank. So it's not good for everybody in every situation. So you've got to figure out almost case by case, you almost need like an action plan to say, okay, you know, who are the people who are automatically going to be on board with this? Great. Who are the people who may not initially be on board, but there's a strong argument for why this is actually really good for them. And we need to help them understand why this is so good for them so that they'll get on board. And who are the people who, frankly, are probably not going to be served well by this transformation? It's in the interest of the company. You know, if we're eliminating our call centers because we're automating everything with chatbots and you're someone who runs the call center or works in the call center, it may not be so great for you. But, yeah. hey, that's that's the truth of the reality. We're not going to it's not successful to pretend that it's good for everybody equally. It's just not it's just not true. Yeah. Although if someone's in the call center and they're prepared to totally make a change and reskill, then, you know, that may be an opportunity. Maybe. Um, so let's, uh, you know, in your in your book, uh, Winning Digital Customers, uh, you outline a formula for success with digital transformation. So um, I know we don't have a ton of time, um, but I'd love to go through you. You outline five, um, five key points. And I think it'd be great to just give uh, give the listeners just a, kind of a taste of um, what those are, and surely you know they can pick up your book and 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 read more. Uh, do you mind kind of going yeah, through those sure. those five steps? I'm very happy to. Um, so the first is to understand your customer, and I know you have a lot of UX and CX practitioners who listen, so this is probably familiar ground. But so many companies embark upon change, and they focus on it as, for example, a technology transformation. But in reality, successful business is a result of effectively influencing human behavior. And a big part of that is customer behavior. If your customers do what you want them to do, they buy, they buy more, they tell their friends, and they don't do the things you don't want them to do, like spend two hours on the phone with your support people, right. return the product, complain online, those types of things, then, then that's largely the thing that's going to drive success in your business. And if you can add to that, that your employees do what you want them to do, and in a perfect world, your shareholders do what you want them to do, man, if you can get all the humans to do what you want them to do, you're golden. And if you can't, it kind of doesn't matter how good your technology is, for example. So understanding the customer just starts by saying, well, we better understand if we're trying to influence the behavior of these human beings, who are these people? And what do they want? What is their hopes and what are their hopes and dreams? What are the ways in which they're dissatisfied today? And where are our opportunities to create more incitement, more love, more you know, satisfaction? Uh, and where are our risks that if we don't do things in a certain way, we're going to turn them off, we're going to send them to a competitor, we're going to dissatisfy them, we're going to get them to you know, not want to be our customer anymore. So that's the first step, understand the customer. And in the book, we go into many detailed techniques because it sounds like a, like a thing. Oh, of course, just understand. You don't automatically <laughs> understand, right? How do you understand the customer? Mostly via research. And in the book, we go on extensively about a wide range of different types of research which we use and which we document how to engage in these different types of research, things like ethnography and data analysis and uh, uh, social listening and sentiment analysis and surveying and and interviewing. And of course, you don't have to do all of these things, but we try to make the book uh, a guidebook to somebody who wants to understand, okay, so if I want to understand my customer, what do I do now? 
and, and the answers to that are, are really pretty thoroughly documented in the book. The book also, by the way, comes with access to a password protected website, which contains additional training materials, templates, PDFs, and other things. So hopefully we've really tried to provide a comprehensive toolkit for someone who wants to move through these steps. Um, but so then the second step is to map the journey. And a lot of people listening are probably familiar with customer journey mapping. In the book, we talk about our recommended approach to customer journey mapping, which kind of has two parts. It starts with current state journey mapping. And I often find a lot of organizations may, when they, when they get enthusiastic about journey mapping, they want to start by envisioning the future. And that's great. That's a lot of fun. But you really want to start by understanding what's really going on today. Yeah. <laughs> because it's amazing how often you realize that it's not well understood. When that customer tries to buy something from you, what actually happens? When they receive your product in the mail and try to assemble it, what actually happens? How often have anyone at your company actually observed someone doing those things? And maybe the answer is a lot, in which case, good for you, but you're in the minority. Yeah. So that's the second, first part of the second step, so to speak, is to make sure you've really mapped out and understand what's happening today. And then, yes, say, okay, well, now that we understand the customer, we understand where their current points of pain are, what would be that future vision? If we take into consideration what all of today's technology can do for us, if we take into consideration where our customers are not being fully satisfied today, what is the vision of what that journey should be like in the future? And in the book, we also talk about the three characteristics of the most successful brands today which are hyper-convenience, proactive personalization, and, and massive value shift. And in the interest of time, I won't try to go into all those. You'll probably get the idea of what some of those things mean, but how do you take those as jumping off points and really try to envision if you were building your company from scratch today and you were gonna make it like, if, 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 you know, if Google built your, rebuilt your company or if Facebook rebuilt your company or whatever digital brand you feel really has it right in terms of meeting the customer, customer's needs today, what would they make it look like? And that's potentially your vision of your future customer journey. Um, of course, it can be daunting, right? Because you might look at that and uh, uh, realize it's quite far right, from where right. you are today. But, but you have to have the courage to be willing to do that in order to really, because the reality is the world has moved quite far from where it was 10 or 20 years ago. And so again, you know, as we said at the beginning, if you want to keep up, you have to be able to be honest about, you know, if I want to get to Disney World, and I look on a map and I say, well, my gosh, you know, Disney World is 3,000 miles away from me. Well, if you're really going to get there, it starts with recognizing the distance you have to yeah. travel. It's not going to help you to pretend that Disney World is 20 miles away. It's right. not, unless, unless you live there. Let me pause there. I've only gone through two of the five, but uh, any questions or things so far? No, no, I think it's good. And to your point, I think, you know, a lot of a lot of the, the audience is probably, you know, familiar with the concepts, but I think and what I like about your book is that it goes into details about how to do this stuff successfully. Cause I mean, again, I think there's, there's a lot of writing on the importance of, of, of some of this stuff, but I, you know, I like that you give some practical examples of, you know, exactly how to, how to do it. So no, I think um, I keep going. Well, thank you. I appreciate those comments. And that really was my goal. I'm a very practical person. You know, I do this stuff day in and day out all day long. I'm not like a theorist or an academic or anything like that. So we just try to take all the real world stuff we learned. You know, I, one of the quotes I love, I'm not quite sure where this comes from, but there's a quote that says, in theory, practice is the same as theory, but in practice, it's not. <laughs> nice. I like that. I haven't heard that one. I, I, have to, I have to find out who to attribute that to. It's not me, but it's true. It's super true. And so, you know, my world is the world of practice. What happens when you're literally trying to get stuff done at big enterprises and you encounter all kinds of challenges and problems that Shouldn't be that way, but they are. Yeah. So um, I've tried to document as many things as I could in the book along those lines. Um, so once you've created that vision, that journey map, then 
and by the way, we provide like sample journey maps and templates and stuff like that. So there's many ways to do them. There's not only one visual style, but we've tried to at least jumpstart it for folks to give them some, some InDesign files and things like that that you can start with if you want. You can, of course, create your own. Um, but then the next step is to build the future, which, you know, of course, this may sound daunting, but when you, you have that distance from where you are in, you know, Disneyland or your, yeah. your, your vision of the future of, you know, rainbows and, and unicorns, um, generally, that's going to involve a bunch of discrete projects that have to be built, individual products, things like apps and websites and, and chatbots and backend services like content management systems or digital asset management systems. And so, of course, you need to create an architecture for what that's going to be and then start working on those individual touch points. And um, we at my company, we, we have been long users of the principles of design thinking. And in the book, we talk about design thinking and we talk about what we like to call design thinking 2.0. It's a sort of a expanded set of principles around design thinking that incorporate all the key ones from the kind of seminal work, you know, at Stanford and IDEO and places like that, but specifically adapting it for a digital world. Because, of course, design thinking is so powerful and applicable and used in many realms, which aren't necessarily about digital products. So we have kind of a, a digital version, if you will, of design thinking. And we kind of go through that again in great detail in the book about how you can apply it. Of course, you know, individuals can adapt what they do or don't want from our book and, and make their own format. But at least it gives you a lot of detail about how we do it. And that's a lot about making sure you don't just have the right general idea of the customer journey as you would have in a journey map, but you're getting all the details right. And the specific elements of the interface, the specific features, the specific content, what does that customer actually need to make each touch point successful? Yeah. And then while you go through those three steps, understand the customer, map the journey, and then build it, um, there's two kind of parallel streams that go, let's think of those first three as being a little bit serial. The other two things are in parallel with all that. And the first is to optimize the short term because transformation often takes time, many, many months, often many years. And as you said earlier, it can almost be a never ending process because the world keeps changing. Right. And while that's happening, you want to be figuring out what's the low-hanging fruit that you can fix to make quick improvements, reduce customer pain, and hopefully see some financial impact, some increases in sales or revenue or reduction in call center handling time or call center calls or whatever the KPIs that you're pushing towards are. So we devote a section of the book to just really getting in the weeds on what are the best methods while you're doing all the transformation. I really hope nobody just goes, oh, we'll just do this part, you know? Yeah. But um, while you're doing all that, what are the things you can do to find quick wins so that you can demonstrate to your company that, you know, there's real benefit in this kind of digital transformation and you can demonstrate to your customer that things are getting better rather than just saying, just give us two or three years. Everything will be great at the end of that. You know, that's rarely a successful strategy if that's all you're doing. Yeah. And then the last section of the book is a, to lead the change. And we talk about that last in the book. Of course, it's not really the last thing you do. It's really the first thing you do. Leadership is really overarching over everything. I like to talk about it last because it's helpful first to give an overview of everything you got to do before you really get into, so how are you going to lead it? But it goes to some of what we were talking about before, which is as a leader of transformation, not only do you have to deal with you know a wide range of professionals and a lot of range of skills from developing business cases to technology, to creative design, to content, to advertising often, and, and so on and so on, research, but you also often have enemies and uh, uh, different areas of resistance. So in that section of the book, we talk about things like how to set up teams uh, for you know, most effective digital transformation projects and how to pitch and sell digital transformation within an organization and how to deal with all the different challenges and resistance points that you're going to experience. And we give, I think, more than 10 
different strategies for dealing with organizational resistance to change because it's such a big problem in digital transformation. That's great. Yeah, and I, I would, I wish we had, <laughs> I wish we had another hour to talk. I, I have so many things I want to talk about, even about that last point. But I think you know, again, I to to echo my statements earlier. I think it's really good that you went through that process, and I, you know, I think the short term optimization piece. I haven't, I don't see a lot of talk about that, but I think it's so important that you don't lose sight of, because you can't just put everything on hold until what, 18 months from now when when you're supposedly done and then, you know, maybe you're not even done then it's a, you know, it's a continual, a continual process. So I think, you know, I, I think it's really, really interesting how you've thought of, thought this stuff through. And I, I definitely, I'd love to have you back on the show to actually talk about the, the leading the change part in particular, because I think that's another that's another key thing I hear from everybody is just how do I get whether it's getting buy in from from the top or getting engagement from the rest of the employees and, you know, and, and everything else in between. I think, you know, that's such critical things to to your point earlier, like people are even though we're talking about technology, people are so critical to the process being successful. Absolutely. There's nothing more painful than being right, but being unable to, but, but failing because you were unable to persuade people. Yeah. You know, that's it. There's who's the Greek character. Is it Cassandra, you know, who knows everything and knows the future. And she's always trying to tell people, don't, don't open that door. You're going to get eaten by a lion. And the person's like, what are you talking about? And they open the door. And of course they get eaten by a lion, you know, and like, she's, that's her, that's her curse, right? She has to go through the world always knowing and no one ever listening to her. And, you know, I think, there's a lot of digital visionaries at big companies and for this has been going on for decades. And I'd like to believe it's becoming a little less true now, especially with COVID and everyone recognizing even more the importance of this stuff, but who've been saying what needs to be done and just not getting enough buy-in and therefore not being able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one last question before we wrap up here, um, as a fellow author, I always like to ask about the, the process of writing. So, you know, as you were, um, writing your book, um, winning digital customers. Uh, what do you learn through the process? What any any takeaways there on just you know the, the process itself? Um, yeah, I mean, so much. I definitely am approaching my next book more efficiently. Yeah, <laughs> I learned a lot of uh, you know uh, I, I wrote way too much uh, initially, and then we had to cut back. In fact, with the book comes multiple PDFs of supplemental material, and a lot of that is just chapters we cut out of the book because uh you know at one point we were concerned the thing was going to become a safety hazard if someone dropped it on their toe <laughs> right, you know right. it was like too it long. is it is hefty but there's so much it's, it's got a good weight yeah. to it though so you i think you cut just the right amount out <laughs> well thank you well you know what as you said there's so much to say and and we cover a lot of ground and of course any one of the five steps could easily be a, a large book in and of itself and, and we were so committed to trying to make sure that people weren't just getting theory, but they were really getting practical advice. And there's just so many steps to this stuff. Um, but I think that, um, you know, that was, that was, I think that if I was to pick one thing, just to be succinct, I think the process of writing a book is very valuable for anybody because it helps them. It forces you to pull together all the things, you know, and say, what's the high level system behind all of this? You know, I certainly had many methods and diagrams for how we approach many different things within our business in, in terms of this process of helping the transformation. But doing the book, when you have to, you know, it's like kind of like they say, the best way to learn something is to have to explain to somebody else, you know? <laughs> so the process of having to turn it into one big picture thing that you could then drill into uh, was, was helpful to me, really helpful to me to really see how all the pieces fit together 
some of that becomes unconscious after a while and you have to make it conscious so that you can turn it into, you know, a diagram and an explanation in a book. So I think that's one of the many reasons why writing a book is a great, great activity. Great. Well, um, Howard, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, For those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? So if they're interested in learning more about the book, they can go to winningdigitalcustomers.com where they can, uh, there's links to buy the book. They can also download the first chapter for free if you want to just check it out. Um, if you want to find me, um, LinkedIn is the social network where I'm most active, although I'm on pretty much all of them. And I do a live cast twice a week on different topics related to this. I also have a podcast. All of it's called Winning Digital Customers. So if you look for my podcast, Winning Digital Customers, live cast, Winning Digital Customers. And uh, if you want to learn more about my consulting firm and agency, it's called From. From.digital is our URL. So you can learn more about us at From.digital. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Howard Tiersky, best-selling author and CEO of From, the Digital Transformation Agency, for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.